Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Bible Breakdown. It's been a tough month, I'll admit, time-wise. Missed another one last week. That was two out of three weeks, but I think we are back on track. We are ready to start getting them ready every week, so I'm glad to have you listening. I'm glad to be back doing it. I miss the times when I don't have the opportunity to do this. I just really enjoy getting to talk about the scripture with you, and I appreciate just the the patience uh, when I'm not quite able to get it, but uh, I'm glad to be back and hopefully back for the foreseeable future every week getting into the lesson. And so this week we are back and we are getting into Galatians. So we're going to be kind of looking at Galatians 1 through 3. That's our lesson for this week. And there's some good and bad to how we skip around a little bit with the curriculum. I think it's good because uh just the opportunity to teach from Galatians, there's an opportunity to talk about the book of Galatians so that hopefully next time you are reading in the book of Galatians, you have a better context for everything that's going on. The bad is that sometimes when you're trying to remember all the different books that we've been in and all the different contextual situations, and I'm trying to give you all the different contextual situations here within just a half hour, it can be a little bit challenging, but I'm going to do my best. I know that y'all are smart and that you will be able to carry on one way or the other. So we are going to be talking about Galatians today, specifically in chapters one through three. This is going to be another book about what do we do with Gentile believers? Do they have to follow the law? Remember, if you've been listening to any of our New Testament post-Gospels Bible breakdowns, you know this is an issue that comes up over and over again. And the reason is it's over and over again in the New Testament. It's one of the biggest things that the early church dealt with was trying to figure out how do we integrate these Gentiles into the Christian faith? Should they become Jews first? Because we recognize that Christianity is the fulfillment of uh, God's call to the Jews. So do they have to become Jews first? And what we're ultimately seeing over and over again is the answer is no. And the reason the answer is no is because grace comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ, and that does not require adherence to the Mosaic law. In fact, Christ did not come to abolish law, but to fulfill it. And he is the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, The author of Hebrews is going to tell us the blood of bulls and goats was never sufficient to take away sins, but Christ's blood is. So that is what we know, but Paul is writing to people who are not quite sure yet. And so we're going to jump in and talk about how Paul's going to defend this idea that salvation comes through faith, that people who were not already um, Jews who were, had not already been circumcised are not going to be, should not be required to follow the Mosaic law, especially he being a devout Jew himself. He knew that the ability that we don't have the ability to follow the law perfectly. And that's one of the things that he's going to talk about. And uh, that's what this book is largely about. And we're going to jump in starting in chapter one with verses three through 10. I'll read through those and we'll discuss a little bit. Starting in verse three, Paul's going to start with his kind of the end of his customary greeting. And we'll see a nice kind of a strong turn here in verse six. So verse three says, grace to you and peace from God, our father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. 
Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So before we jump in, I want to stop there on verse 10. This verse, uh, if if I could think of any verse that we would just want tattooed on our minds, that we're thinking of constantly, that we're constantly filtering everything we do through, this would be an excellent one. Paul had plenty of opportunities to seek the approval of man, but he's saying, am, am I tra- trying to please man or am I trying to please God? If I really was going to want to work to please man and have everybody like me, I wouldn't bother serving Christ. That's what he's saying. If, if your goal, if my goal is to please other people, then we really should choose a different Lord in our life because being a servant of Christ is not the way to please man. In fact, it can cause great division between us and those who do not serve him as Lord. And sometimes that is just what, that's just a reality of following Christ that some people, he is the aroma of death and some people he's the aroma of life. But for those people for whom Christ is an aroma of death, we also carry that same aroma. So it's not the best way to make everybody happy is to serve Jesus. The best way to make everybody happy is to affirm what everybody else is doing all the time, no matter what. And uh, we can't do that if we're going to truly serve Christ. So I do just want to briefly, too, talk about this uh, servant of Christ. So this is the word doulos, which usually is literally translated slave. Now, the ESV is going to typically um, shy away from using the word slave just because of the, the our current cultural context um, and the negative connotations. They'll still use it if it's very clearly referring to someone who's in slavery. Um, I read the note on it in their preface. But this this word is not just like, a, oh, yeah, I go and wait tables for Christ. Or, oh, yeah, I go and clean Christ's house. Or, oh, I follow him around until I get a new job. Um, it's, a, it's a term of devotion. It's a term of ownership and commitment. And this is, I think the reason they shy away from saying slave is it's not like Christ made us, right? He didn't subject us to slavery. We willingly subject ourselves. But uh, the in the Greek lexicon, it would describe this as one who is solely committed to another. And it will translate it typically slave or subject. So that's what Paul's talking about. He's like, this is not just a, oh, I wouldn't uh, talk about Jesus if I wanted to please man. It's like, if I really want to be solely invested in Christ as the person that I live my life after. If I want to own up to this choice I've made to be Christ's servant, then this is not going to make anyone happy. And ultimately, any of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, hopefully we would have that attitude that ultimately our, he's our boss. He's, our, he's the one that we are seeking to please. He is the one whose orders we take, the one who we want to emulate so that's kind of what Paul's communicating here. And I think it's just so important. Again, I think about this verse often. Um, it's sobering um, to realize the choice we've made is not going to please those around us, especially those who don't know Jesus, but so important because we can 
drive ourselves silly trying to please everybody. But if we focus on serving Christ, then yeah, some people aren't going to be pleased with what we're doing. But at least at the end of the day, we know that we've served the one whose opinion truly matters. So I just want to stop there before we jump in, just because that's a verse that I feel like the Lord has used in my life quite a bit, um, just in times where I found myself trying to seek the approval of man and then maybe not receiving it and feeling the emptiness that comes on that when that's your pursuit, if you're not receiving it, then there's a lot of disappointment. And really, I think the Lord used that has used that to refocus my heart um, on him and still does to this day. So anyway, side note, hope that's helpful for you. And if you're at all like me, um, I hope that'll be something that the Lord uses in your life. Um, so what Paul has um, gotten so upset here about the with the Galatians is that they are deserting Christ. And what he means by that is that some people had come in and told them that they should obey the law. So these Galatians are now tempted to believe that following the law, and when we say the law, we're talking about the Mosaic law that has um, been the pillar of Judaism up to this point. They are now considering that, oh, I think there's also works of the law, the Mosaic law that I need to do in order to be a Christian. Now we have a term for these people, these people who come in and have a high Jewish influence. They're often referred to as Judaizers. So they are basically ones who are going to go into Christian context and assert the necessity of the law, whether that be circumcision or whether that be dietary. There's lots of things that go into it, um, those being two of the primary. But Paul is very upset at them. You know, he does all oh, grace to and peace to you in verse three. And then he says, I'm astonished that you're deserting him. So it, he lets him know pretty quick after his sweet little intro that he is upset. He's saying, this is not the gospel I preach to you. So what in the world are you doing? And he said, I don't care if I come back and tell you a different gospel or even an angel of heaven comes and tells you something other than that faith in Jesus Christ is the way to salvation. Let me or even that angel from heaven be accursed. It's not true. There's only one gospel. The gospel is through Christ. The gospel is faith in Jesus. So this book is really how Paul is going to explain how salvation is through Christ and not through works of the law. And he's going to have a little bit of defense of his own apostleship as a part of that as well, because he was the one who brought up the message to him. And some people were questioning the origins of his message. So he's going to go into that a little bit too. So the next little section that we get here, starting in one uh, eleven moving on through 2.14, this is kind of this defense that Paul's going to give of his message and his apostleship. So I'm going to kind of summarize some of the things that we see here. Um, his first argument is that this gospel was not given to him or taught to him from any person, but that he got it directly from the from through, excuse me, through revelation from Jesus. So you'll remember that Saul who is now called Paul, had this interaction with Jesus on the Damascus road. And that's when he first learns like, okay, this Jesus I've been persecuting. He's real. And he's the guy that's actually calling me to spread his word to the Gentiles. So he's saying, I didn't receive this message from Peter or from John or from James, either one. I got this message directly from Jesus. So if you're going to question what I'm teaching, you're questioning this revelation I got from Jesus, which Saul's story was fairly famous. So uh, I don't think that was a story that a lot of people were questioning. Um, so that's one his first reason. And, you know, did he get the complete 
fullness of the gospel that he shared in the account that we get next? Maybe, maybe not. Um, he did go into Damascus and start sharing Jesus fairly shortly after that. Um, but we don't know, too, if um, Jesus had come to him in other ways that just aren't recorded. But either way, the point is, he got this from Jesus. He had not met Peter and John and James and all these guys when he had this revelation. Um, and he's going to talk about that a little bit, too. He goes into just a little reminder. And, hey, just a reminder, I was a person who really tried to persecute the church. He's like, I lived under the law. I was surpassing all my co uh, my co-workers in being zealous for the law. He's like, I had no, as far as the law goes, and he's going to say this in other places, he had couldn't be found with fault. He had no reason to be ashamed of the law and divert from it to this other gospel. He's basically saying, if I, if anybody was going to tout the law and feel good about it, it would be me because I followed it really well. But he's saying that's not what happened. I was persecuting the church. And then yet God had set me apart before I was born to take this message to the Gentiles, even though he didn't know it. So Paul, um, this is a really interesting part about Paul that um, it, it really only comes up here. So it's on often missed detail, but Paul kind of goes on a little spiritual retreat um, to Arabia, which um, I looked up earlier where it was, but basically he's kind of out in the sticks a little bit. He's in a totally different area. And there's this three year period that um, he is in Arabia. He returns to Damascus and then he's going to go up to Jerusalem. But during this time in Arabia and then again in Damascus, Paul is quite possibly doing ministry. Um, more than likely, there's a significant amount of time that he's spending reflecting on what he's just been, this revelation he's been given through Jesus, kind of thinking through it, perhaps even going through how does this, how do I see this through the law that I followed my whole life? Um, one commentary I read said that, uh, that Mount Sinai, where the law was originally given, is in this region of Arabia. Is it possible he went into that area to uh, to kind of be like, well, this is where the law was given, and now I'm being told that um, the gospel is also for the Gentiles, and maybe that was kind of a spiritual retreat for him of sorts. But basically, he spends this time likely doing gospel ministry because we know that's what Paul was called to do, and also probably doing a lot of reflecting, a lot of prayer, a lot of meditation on what he'd heard from this revelation from Jesus and how it lined up with how he'd grown up. So um, kind of a part of Paul's life that's a little shaky. We don't know obviously much about it. It's a lot of, um, it's mostly conjecture, but um, not something that we see really outside of Galatians that that happened. So it kind of goes under the radar sometimes. But then after he's gone through this three-year period, which is likely from three years from the time of his conversion and is the most likely way that he's measuring that time, he went to Jerusalem and there he met Peter. He met James, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the Jerusalem church. And he spent about two weeks there with them and he talked with them. And part of it was he wanted to let them know because he knew that they were pillars of the uh, ministry to the Jews. Um, he wanted them to know what he was doing and he wanted them to, he kind of wanted their blessing in some way. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in, here in chapter two. Um, but he's going to go, he's going to spend some time with them. He's basically, I didn't see any other apostles. So don't think that I was influenced by anyone that you don't implicitly trust, which Peter and James are people that these 
um, these ones holding to Judaism are going to trust implicitly. He's like, I didn't, nobody else told me some other gospel. Like these, I was on, it says in verse 22, I was unknown to the churches of Judea. Like it was just Peter and James that he saw during that time. And they were, they were happy. It appears they were happy with his ministry. He went on um, to minister, he says, in Syria and Cilicia. And uh, then in chapter two, he's going to come to Jerusalem yet again. So this, he says, is after 14 years. And again, this most likely probably referring to 14 years after the date of his conversion, though it's not 100% certain. We don't always know how time is measured by writers at that time, or did they mean 14 years after the first Jerusalem visit? Did he mean for 14 years from his conversion? Um, it really could be either. Uh, we're not 100% sure. But either way, he goes back to Jerusalem, and he's got Barnabas with him. He's got Titus with him. Titus is Greek. Titus is uncircumcised. And they are, have this discussion about the gospel that they've been proclaiming among the Gentiles, this message that through faith in Jesus, you do not have to adhere to the Mosaic law. And so there are plenty of people there who are going to speak against him. And they're going to say, nope, that doesn't seem right. But Paul says that basically the people I trusted most there, the people who seemed most influential, James, uh, brother of Jesus, Peter, and then he's also going to include John this time. Um, and he says, they extended the right hand of fellowship to me. They gave me the go ahead. They said, this is a good thing that I'm proclaiming this gospel to the Gentiles and that this gospel is not including adherence to the Mosaic law. So they go through all that. Now you may be thinking, and you'd be right to do so. Two weeks ago, we talked about the Jerusalem council in Acts 15. And that's basically what happens at the Jerusalem council in that um, he goes, Paul is um, and Barnabas are in Jerusalem and they're talking about whether you know Gentiles should be forced to follow the law. And they ultimately are going to decide, no, this message to the Gentiles, they should not be required to follow the law. They just have a couple of things we're going to ask them to do in order to help their Jewish brothers and sisters not stumble. And so um, it's it's entirely possible that this Acts 2, I mean, I'm sorry, this Galatians 2 story is that council. It's entirely possible. There are a couple of reasons to think it might not be. I think the biggest one is you don't, there's no appeal here in Galatians to the decision of that council. So you would think that if this was post Jerusalem council, and he's talking about this meeting that he'd be like, Hey, and guess what the council decided? They decided that Gentiles will not be required to follow the Mosaic law in order to be welcomed into the church. You think he probably would have mentioned that if a council in Jerusalem made up of largely Jews had decided that, but you don't see that here. So it's kind of conspicuously missing, which I think casts doubt on whether or not he is referring to the Jerusalem Council or maybe something that led up to the Jerusalem Council, which would put this letter at an earlier date. There's a lot of moving parts with all that. But all that to say, the Jerusalem Council came to the same conclusion that Paul, James, Peter, and John came to. So Paul and Barnabas, Titus, they come in. Uh, and then James, Peter, and John are going to say, yep, go ahead. We, you have the right hand of fellowship. We're on your side. You, you minister to the Gentiles. We'll minister to the, uh, the circumcised or the Jews. And they gave him that hand of fellowship. So not just like, uh, that's wrong, but you can do it anyways, but that they fully uh, embraced it. And these, of course, are going to be the, the biggest leaders of the movement of the church. And so whether this reflects the Jerusalem Council or is a precursor to the council, 
either way, it's in agreement. Those who are the kind of main pillars of the church are all in agreement on the matter in both places. So, um, and then he's going to finish with a little shot at Peter. We thought Peter was done with his bad behavior, but alas, Peter wasn't quite done. So Paul kind of calls out Peter here for um, when Peter was with the Gentiles and the you know, Judaizers weren't around. He was, you know, living it up with the Gentiles, like eating with them. Um, no worries, no worries about what he was eating. But then when some of these Jews came in, he distanced himself from them because he was worried about what they thought. And Paul's probably like, Peter, if you wanted to please the Jews, you should not be a servant of Christ. He probably gave him that line. That's probably where he got it. But he does give Peter a little rebuke and he doesn't do it just for the sake of it. He does it a little bit to make his point. His point is this is, well, okay, Peter, it says it here in, um, let's see, it's four, verse 14. He says to Peter, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Like you're already a Jew and you're not acting like a Jew. How are you supposed to ask the Gentiles who are not Jews to act like Jews? And by that, it means by holding to these certain um, law things, dietary things, um, meat that would be sacrificed to idols, things of that nature. So I think it's a pretty good question. He uses that to then kind of launch into what he's going to say here in verse or in chapter two, verse starting verse 15. I'll read through verse 21. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So he's, his point here is that, listen, if there was a way to be justified through works of the law, we'd have figured it out because we were Jews, okay? But we even know, those of us who are tied to this law know that there's no justification through works of the law because there's no ability to complete the law absolute to the letter, and there's no way for the blood of bulls and goats to ultimately take away sin. Now in the, in obeying the law, uh, God graciously allowed the sacrificial system in order for people to um, have forgiveness of sins. But ultimately those things are realized in Christ. They are not a forever solution. And so that's kind of what he's telling them. And it's his justification as a Jew, the justification of any Gentiles comes not by adherence to the law, but it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So then moving into chapter three, Paul is going to continue this thought in verses one through nine. You can get real upset at them again. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ, that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing but with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law 
or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, knowing then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, or know then that it was it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So he's asking them all these rhetorical questions. And the part of it is like, hey, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit and all these things happened among you? And was uh, were all these miracles done? And was are you being perfected? Um, was that that Holy Spirit who was doing all these things? Was that when you heard and you believed in faith? Or was it when these people came in and asked you to start obeying the law? And the clear answer is, well, it was when they heard by faith. They received the Spirit. They had all these things going on that were affirmation of the Spirit's work among them. And that was all when they had just heard by faith. And then somebody comes in later with a quote-unquote new, quote-unquote gospel. Of course, it's not really new and it's not really a gospel. But they come in and he's like, so was it when you started trying to obey the law that all these things were happening among you? And of course, they'd be like, yeah, okay, you're right, Paul. All these things were happening when we heard by faith, not when works of the law came. And of course, Paul, he brings out the ace. The ace is always Abraham. What happened with Abraham? He's asking them. He's like, did Abraham adhere to the law? He said, guess what? He's going to talk about this later. The law didn't exist when Abraham was justified by faith. It was counted to him as righteousness because he believed God. He had faith. Anytime you're wanting to make a point to Jewish people in the scripture, they're going to bring up Abraham. They're going to bring up Moses. Bringing up Moses here would have probably been a little counterproductive because he's so tied to the law. Bring up Abraham. That's your ace in the hole. He's the father of the whole nation. If he did it, then how can we say that us, we, his offspring, know better than he did? That's kind of Paul's point here. Now, I think that this is a good time for, this was a good time for me to kind of think through, okay, yeah, um, works of the Mosaic law is not what um, I try to be perfected by, but what do I try to be perfected by? What are the works that I try to do or the things I try to be known for that I think, whether functionally or actually in my mind, um, are the things that perfect? Here are some things that I thought of, and I, I hope these are helpful for you too to think. How do we apply this? I'm imagining Paul changing up his sentences here to talk to me, talk to you instead. So, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by legalistically reading your Bible every morning, feeling guilty that you didn't get in the Word because that's what you're being perfected by, by not actually the Scripture itself transforming you, but just this habit of, I can say I've read my Bible every day. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by giving out of obligation rather than out of joy? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by going to church? I have a perfect church attendance record. Is that what I find my justification, my perfection in? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by serving out of obligation rather than out of joy? Is my role at SR Kids what I point to that means I'm justified. Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by being a nice person, keeping everything together, keeping the peace? Is that when I feel like I'm being perfected when I'm able to do that? Or is it by the spirit? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by 
holding the correct view on social issues. If I can think through all of these issues and have the right answers to all the societal ills around me, is that what I find my my perfection in, my hope in, my justification in? This one really stung. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by justifying your actions instead of owning your sin? Oof. Man, that one hits me right in the heart. I would much rather say, yeah, my need for grace is a lot less today because I can justify that action I did instead of just admitting I was was sinful in that, that I'm sinning. Yeah, that can be an easy way for me to find my justification, my perfection in. So um, as we close here, as we're running a little low on time, um, in verses 10 through 29 in Galatians 3, Paul is going to talk about how the righteous have always lived by faith. And that this promise to Abraham came before the law, that the promise was ratified by faith. It was not ratified by works of the law. And so he's going to use that to kind of propel forward this vision. And I want to end with this. It's later in Galatians, a little bit outside our scope. But uh, Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Our obedience that we have, we're called to be obedient. Works of the law are not going to justify us, but God is still calling us to live in a certain way. Our obedience comes from the freedom we have to choose to serve God, not out of obligation. We do not have to worry about our fate. We do not have to worry about our justification, our fa- that fancy word for being right before God. That's been taken care of from the moment that we heard in faith about the work of Jesus. That's taken care of. And ultimately, the spirit is working in us to bring us about to better emulate Christ, to better live like Christ. If we try to force it by the rules we obey, the things we do, we're ultimately working against the work of the spirit. What we want to do is we want to own, like the spirit is working in me. Christ has done this for me. I want to obey out of a joyful heart because I want to please Jesus, not because I think it will save me. So I hope that that can be something on the forefront of our minds that we serve Jesus out of love and not out of obligation.